All right, grab your Bibles, Judges chapter 3 this morning. A little bit of review, a little bit of where we're going. Uh, review last week, we started Judges 1 and 2. Every character that we read that looks to be heroic doesn't necessarily mean they are a good follower of God or an example that we are to follow. So this morning, we're going to be introduced to our first judge. Uh, what do we do with him? We'll find that out in a little bit. Uh, but last week, we talked a lot about, especially in discussion group, the idea of one generation to the next. And Joshua's generation had it. They followed God. At the end of Joshua, there's this beautiful display of commitment to God and following him and doing what he says. And not too far into Judges, we see Israel falling away from that. And so Judges 2, we just kind of read it last week. But it gives us this outline of the book of some sort of peace. Then there's sin. There's judgment. There's deliverance. There's peace. Then there's sin, there's judgment, the deliverance, peace, and we just see that over and over again. So this morning, Judges 3, we're going to be introduced to our first judge. We're going to be introduced to this first cycle of sin, judgment, deliverance, and peace. We're going to see that played out. Uh, not every judge gets the same amount of time. There's going to be a judge next, well, not next week, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, one of the judges next time I preach is, he gets about a verse. So, so this judge gets 11 verses, give or take. The next judge, roughly, you get to Gideon, you get to Samson, you're going to have a lot more than just a chapter. Okay? Uh, here's what's coming. I'm leaving town. That's what's coming. Uh, so the next two weeks, we have Ian, we have Daniel. I ask them to preach whatever they want. Uh, mostly because I was not prepared in my judges' study to be like, here, here's the portion I need you to preach while I'm gone. Uh, I'm not that far ahead. I feel unprepared for what we're doing to judges right now. Anyway, uh, so they're going to preach on whatever they want to preach on. So that's going to be the next two weeks. So whatever that equals three weeks from now, we'll jump back into Judges 3 and finish the chapter, Lord willing. All right, uh, here we go. Judges 3, verses 1 through 11, where it's going to be. Uh, let's just read verses 1 through 7, uh, 8. Let's read verses 1 through 8 to start. Now, these are the nations which the Lord left to test Israel by them. That is, all who had not experienced any of the wars of Canaan, only in order that the generations of the sons of Israel might be taught war, those who had not experienced it formerly. These nations are the five lords of the Philistines and all the Canaanites and the Sidians and the Hivites who lived in Mount Lebanon from Mount Baal Hermon as far as Lebanon. Okay, we're going to skip that one. Verse 4, they were for testing Israel to find out if they had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, which he had commanded their fathers through Moses. The sons of Israel lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Pezzarites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and they took their daughters for themselves as wives and gave their own daughters to their sons and served their gods. The sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherah. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel so that he sold them into the hands of Cushan Rishathim, king of Mesopotamia. And the sons of Israel served Cushan eight years. Okay, verse 1. Now, these are the nations which the Lord left to test Israel. Okay, we homeschool our kids. They have to take a test every time, you know, every week, whatever, they have these tests. Part of the reason for a test is what? Part of the reason for a test is so that a teacher, not all of it, but for a teacher to, to be able to assess where their student is. So I had a teacher in high school who taught us chemistry. Uh, if, if the whole class did poorly on a test, he, he didn't yell at us. He'd be like, hey, guys, that's on me. Like, I somehow failed to communicate what this chapter was about. So what we're going to do is we're going to spend one more week on this chapter. We're going to come back. We're going to go through the test. And, and so in my world, it was super easy because I just memorized the test that we just took the week before. I don't know if I learned anything else. I just memorized the answers. And I was like, man, chemistry, it's a breeze, right? 
just, just banking that everybody will do poorly. I can memorize the test and we'll just ace it next time, right? Uh, but anyway, there's some sort of like, hey, I want to know where you're at. God is not giving them a test because he's not sure where they're at. Right? I just want us to understand, like, this is not God trying to figure out, Israel, where are you at? Like, what's going on here? No, this is what? This is a test, or the idea here is to prove. This is Israel. I'm letting, I'm letting these nations prove to you that, that God's way is the right way and your way is the wrong way. Right? So we talked about this a little bit last week. We're going to see it again in this passage. But the, you're not going to make, uh, uh, what's the word? You're not going to commit. You're not going to work. You're not going to do a treaty. That's what I'm looking for. You're not going to do a treaty with these other nations. You're going to drive them out of the land. You're not going to marry their, their, their kids. You're not going to have your kids marry their kids. Like, why? Because he says if you do these things, back in Deuteronomy, back in Joshua, last week even a little bit in Judges, if you do these things, you're going to become like them. You're going to serve their gods. You're going to look like them. You're going to do those things. Okay? Israel at some point says, no, we got it. Like, God, we can handle it. We can, we can intermarry. We can go into treaties. We can serve with these people. We don't have to drive them out of land. Like, God, we can do it. And so here, chapter 3, verse 1. God's saying, here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prove it to you. Okay, now for us, outside readers, if we never went through the book of Judges before, like in my mind, it would be like, all right, great. God's going to prove to them that God's way is better, that God's plan's greater, that God's a better God than the gods of the people in, in the land of Canaan right now. This book's going to be real short. Right, because how many times do we think that God needs to, to prove himself? Like, how many times do you think Israel needs to learn this lesson? Like, in, in my mind, Israel's going to learn it one time. They're in the promised land. All right, God, you are right. Let's drive out the people. Let's not marry them. Let's not serve their gods. And yet, we got 12 names on the screen up here, representing 12 different judges. Like, like over the course of potentially 410 years, the book of Judges is going to last. And over 410 years, we're going to see this, this repeated over and over and over again. Okay? What does that mean for us? It means that these people were, were humans just like we are. Right? There's a, there's a next generation that's coming up that might not know God. Like That's where the story of Judges starts, with the next generation not knowing God. So it's easy for us to say, hey, Israel, you missed it. Hey, Israel, why did you need 12 judges? Hey, Israel, why did you need these things? And yet it's, it's, it's maybe harder for us to stop and say, hey, this is, this is for us. Like We don't want to walk down this road. It's going to be easy to do it. Okay? So here's these tests. Uh, we're going to skip a couple verses. Go to verse 6. And they, that would be Israel, did what? They took daughters for themselves as wives and gave their daughters to their sons. Okay, this is direct disobedience. Like this isn't, this is just blatantly against what God said to do. Okay, and then that, I think, leaves, leads them to what? The last part of verse 6. They served their gods. Okay, we're going to talk about their gods in a little bit. They named them. Uh, we'll read about them. Uh, but I just want to say this. God created us to worship and so we will always worship something, right? Like if you're saying like this person is, a, is an atheist and yet they still worship something. They might worship money. They might worship success. They might worship other people and what they think of them, but they're still going to worship something. So here for Israel, you leaving God isn't just that you're not worshiping God. It's that you're going to give yourself to something, something or something else. So, so we're not worshiping God, but what are we going to do? We're going to worship their gods. Okay, so, so verse 7, then we're going to get a little bit more specific about some of the things that Israel has done. Verse 7 says, the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Okay, what was this evil? How does the author of Judges describe this evil? He's going to continue down that road in verse 7. They forgot the Lord their God. Okay, the word here, forgot. Let's, let's just park on that word, and then I'm going to share, you, share with you what the Hebrew word can also be. Okay, but we can just park here for a little bit. I feel like it's easy to forget. 
right? It would be easy to, to, to fill up your day with other things. It would be easy to, and, and here's reading the word, and here's memorizing the word, and here's Deuteronomy 6, repeating it when you wake up and when you go to bed. Like, like it would be easy to, to, man, I forget today, I forget tomorrow, I forget, and now that turns into a pattern, which turns into a lifestyle, okay? So, so we've all probably been there, so I don't want to be too harsh. But the Hebrew word can also mean ignore. Like, it's not just that we forgot, it's that we, we purposefully ignored. Okay, so, so in my life, like, it is easy in my life. If, if I have something that I, that I know I need to do and I don't want to do it, my garage will look pretty clean because I can always go in there and clean something. And it's like, hey, I'm doing something that I need to do. Like, I need to clean my garage, right? And it's real easy to fill up my day with something that's, that's good, that's something I need to do, but it's not what the most pressing matter is in my life right now. And so some's like, I don't really want to conquer this. I don't really want to go down that road right now, so I'll find something else to go do. Okay, I think this is where Israel's at. It's not that they forgot, like, oh, shoot, man, I, I just, I forgot about that. It's a, I purposely ignored. I purposely filled up my day, and at the end of the day, I had no time for God. Right, and so, so for, again, we can look at Israel and be like, how did you forget God? He led you out of Egypt, the most powerful nation on the planet up until that time. Like, how would you forget the parting of the Red Sea? How would you forget the parting of the Jordan River? How would you forget the, the stories in Joshua that is, you're not that far removed from? And yet in our own life, he raised us up from the dead and he's given us life. And we can easily fill up our, our day with something that's not God. We can easily say, hey, here's, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going I'm to spend some time here. I'm, man, i got to spend time with kids, right? That's a good thing. I don't want a, the next generation to lose it. And yet we don't have that relationship with God. Okay, what else do they do here? Verse 7. It says they forgot the Lord their God. They forget his commandments. They forget his law. They don't obey him. You know, Sabbaths and rituals and festivals and all those things, they're done, right? We're not doing those things. And there's verse 7 says, and they serve the Baals and the Asherah. Let's just focus on that first one there, Baal. Baal's a god of the Canaanites. Uh, he is mostly, most commentators would say that he is the god of storms and crops, agriculture. So, so in that context, uh, you need rain and you need crops. In our context, we don't think much about that at all. We have Publix, we have Aldi, we have Walmart and Target, and a bunch of other people that will sell us food. Right? So, so in our context, like, why would you leave the God of Israel, the God who leads you out of Egypt, the God who's done all these things in the history of your people, to go serve a God who's known for storms and crops? And, and yet, we'll talk about this in a little bit, we do the same thing. Right? But anyway, who's Baal? Baal would be the uh, hierarchy of gods. There's multiple gods in their culture. Uh, Baal is the uppity of the ups. Right? He's Zeus. He's the, he's the head honcho of all these gods. Okay, but if you notice here, it says what? It says he served, they served the Baals. There's an S. His name is Baal. We put an S on the end of it. Why is it plural? A couple of thoughts. Maybe all of them work, but just a couple of thoughts that I've read. Uh, he's the god of gods, as it were. Like, he's kind of uppity, art, whatever. So Hebrew sometimes will plural a word, even though they mean one person, just to, to give it some sort of significance. So, so they do this with the word Elohim. That is not singular, and yet it's the word that's used for God over and over again through the Old Testament. And it's just like, it's like a title. It's a privilege. Like, like you are a, you're, you're better, you're greater than God. You're, you're Elohim. Like you're, we use multiple to a singular to, to show forth the greatness and goodness and power. Okay, so maybe that's part of it. Uh, I think, because what's coming next I think it's the fact that here's the Baal, who's kind of the overarching God, the main guy, and you're not just serving him, you're serving all the other gods that go with him. So it's not just that you left God, uh, Yahweh, to go to Baal, it's that you left Yahweh and you filled it in with all these other gods. 
Why do I say that? Because of the next couple words. You serve the Baals and the Asherah. Depending on your translation you're using right now, you might see Baals and you might see something about woods or groves or carved image. Uh, that's just a translation of this word. But we think that this word, Asherah, is a goddess. And it too is also plural. So here's this picture. You're going to leave God. You're going to leave the God of Israel, the one who leads you out of Egypt. You're going to leave that God, and you're going to go serve all sorts of God. The gods, the goddesses, the plural, like all of them that look like Baal, all of them that look like this Asheroth. Like, like you're just going to go down that road. Right? And, and what does that look like? Well, let's talk about Asheroth a little bit. What do we know about this God? Uh, fortune and happiness. Those are the two words that are associated with, with this goddess. If you worship her, you'll be happy and you'll have money. Uh, fertility is, is brought up by other people as well. Okay, so, so you get the promise of food to eat and happiness and wealth from, from these two gods. And Israel forgets God, and in their forgetting of the God, they say, hey, you know what, I'd, I think I'd rather take this. And it's like, you go read through Exodus, and it's like the God that we serve, the God that brings you out of Egypt, and you, you put him up against these gods, like there's, there's no chance that we would take these gods. Right? There's no chance that we'd be like, oh yeah, so I'm here for Baal, like this, the God only of storms. Like my God brought forth frogs and storms and hail and parted sea. Like, like my God's far greater than that. And yet we're made to worship. And so as we forget one God, we fill him in with another. The way that you would worship these gods, I will not describe because of the ages of people in this room. But it looks a whole lot like Ephesus when we talked about Ephesians. It looks a whole lot like Thessalonica when we talked about Thessalonians. Like, it is worshiping these gods is directly opposed to how you would worship the creator God of the universe. So again, it's not just like, hey, here's God, and here's like a, a fake God, but at least he's good. Like, no, here's God who is good, and here's evil. And these guys are on the opposite side of this. So again, for us, as we walk through this text in Judges, it's real easy to pick on Israel. Like, Israel, how'd you do this? Israel, why would you ever leave, leave God for a God who promises rain and crops? Right? We don't struggle with that. And yet this one for Asheroth. How many of us know somebody who left the church, who left Jesus, who left some sort of community like this because there was a God of money or success or something that promised them wealth and it promised them happiness? I mean, like, for some of us right now, that's the God we're struggling with. Because maybe the God of the Bible isn't quite who I think he is. And maybe I'm trying to figure out where he fits. But this God of happiness and wealth, yeah, that's a God I'd like to serve. Like, it's easy for us at some points in the Bible to look back and be like, this is 2,000 years ago. Like, this is weird and hard to understand. And yet, this context, like, here's a God of happiness and wealth, I don't think that's hard to understand at all. Like, that is our culture, 2023 America. I mean, we live in Sarasota. This is an old stat, but there's more millionaires per capita in where we live than anywhere else in America. Like, God of wealth and happiness is in our, is in our backyard. All right, let's keep going. Uh, so they forget God, and, and they're going to worship something. So they forget God, and they worship Baal, and they worship the Asheroth, okay? Verse 8. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. So they sold them into the hands of Kushan Rishathayim. I'm going to change his name in just a second. King of Mesopotamia. The sons of Israel served him for eight years. Okay, the meaning of names has never been that cool to me. Like, I really don't care. Okay, my firstborn, don't listen. I mean, you already know this. His name means meadow. I did not name him that because I thought, oh, meadow, yeah, that's pretty. No, I like the name Leighton. Like, that's it, period. That's why we named him that. 
Okay. Sometimes in the Bible, somebody will be like, Hey, you know what this guy's name means? And it's like potato. And I'm like, what does that have to do with the story? I have no idea. What's the point of this? Like, right. This one is easy. Super easy. Kushan. And then the really hard part to pronounce, pronounce. It means the double wicked one, double evil, twice evil. Okay. So, so here's all of a sudden, we go from, you're serving other gods, God's anger comes up, and so what do you do is you give your people into the hands of the twice evil king. Is this not Habakkuk? Like, we went through the book of Habakkuk, and here's Habakkuk who's like, God, how can you, how can you judge your people with, with someone that's even worse than we are? How can, you, how can you bring in Babylon to judge our people? Like, at some point, wouldn't the reader, or even those who are part of the story of Judges, thinking, God, how can you judge your people with the twice evil, twice evil king? Like, I looked up some of the horrible names of leaders and dictators, right? Ivan the Terrible. Like, you don't get that nickname from being kind of nice once in a while, right? Vlad the Impaler. Like, I didn't know that guy existed until this week. And yet the nickname Impaler makes me think he's not very nice. In fact, I think I know what he did in order to get the nickname, right? Here's twice the wicked one. So a guy uh, by the name of Eric, I forget his last name off the top of my head. It'll come on the screen in just a second. Says this, if I can find it down here. Israel now faces huge moral oppression. If there was a means to be wicked, twisted, amoral, immoral, unjust, abusive, vile, heinous, hateful, or godless, from government to campus to temples of worship to the home of the private individual, whoop, too far, evil was a regular occurrence in Israel's daily life for eight years, Eric Redman. Like, I feel like it's easy because it's just quick. It's, it's, it's one verse. God's anger was kindled against Israel. Twice evil king shows up. They, they're, they're in this sort of captivity for eight years. That doesn't seem too bad. And yet Eric Redmond would, would remind us, like, this is godless. This is hateful. This is heinous. This is part of their everyday life. And so, so then the question is that we're going to struggle with. And I want us to struggle with it. And coming out of Habakkuk, maybe we feel like we got a little bit of a, a, a leg up on this. But like, how is God going to accomplish his will through an evil person? Like eight years is, it's not as long as other captivities, but like I have an eight-year-old. I don't really, really remember life before he was born. I mean, I do, but I feel like there's high school and then there's an eight-year-old. Like there's a whole lot of years between having an eight-year-old and it's like, he's just part of my life now. I can't imagine going back eight years. Right? Like, there's a struggle to say eight years is such a short time. In reality, every day of, of being under the twice evil king, I don't think it would seem that short. But again, how is God, how do we, what do we do with God in this? Okay, I got another quote, this time by a guy named Dale. Dale says this. Yet even here, in Yahweh's anger, is hope for Israel. For his anger shows that he will not allow Israel to serve Baal unmolested. Yahweh's wrath is the heat of of his jealous love, by which he refuses to let go of his people. He refuses to allow his people to remain comfortable in sin. Serving Kushan Rishatham may not sound like salvation to us, and it isn't. But if it forces us to lose our grip on Baal, it may be the beginning of salvation. We must confess that Yahweh's anger is not good news, nor is it bad news, but good bad news. It shows that the covenant God who has bound himself to his people will not allow them to become cozy in their infidelity. Steadfast love pursues them in their iniquity and not above inflicting misery in order to awaken them. 
The burning anger of Yahweh is certainly no picnic, but it may have been the only sign of hope for God's people, even though they may, yet, uh, they may be yet unaware of the fact. Dale Davis. The idea that God says, hey, my people, I'm not going to let you be comfortable in your sin. My people, I'm not going to let you be comfortable to leave this, this Exodus, Mount Sinai. Like they entered into this, this marriage looking covenant and the people said, we do. Like you would say, I do. Like, like we do. We will serve you. We will have this relationship with you. And God's saying, I'm not going to let you live in that world where you're unfaithful to me. I'm not going to let you go serve gods who, who are worse for you, who are going to ruin your life, who are, going to, who are going to make things worse in your world. Like I'm not going to just let you go down that road. And so we look at verse 9, uh, verse uh, 8. And we see the anger of the Lord, and there's some part of us that's like, yeah, the Old Testament God was angry. And yet at the same time, Dale's going to say what? He's going to say this anger is actually a result of his steadfast love for his people. That says, I'm not going to let you go down a road. I'm not going to let you waste your life. I'm not going to let you throw your life to a God who's going to be worthless. Like, there's true happiness and joy. There's true life, and it's found only in God. And God's saying, I'm not going to let you continue to go down this road. Okay, so there's verses 1 through 8. Let's read verses 9 through 11. When the sons of Israel cried to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the sons of Israel to deliver them. Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's young brother, the spirit of the Lord came upon him and he judged Israel. When he went out to war, the Lord gave Cushan Rishtham, the evil king of Mesopotamia, into his hand so that he prevailed over a twice evil king. Then the land had rest for 40 years. Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. Okay, when we read verse 9, it says, when the sons of Israel cried to the Lord, We've heard that before. Maybe not in Judges, but in the Old Testament, we've heard that before. Where is this phrase? What, like if there's a hyperlink, uh, blue letters online, you press the button, it's going to take you to the other passage. Like what's the other passage we're going to? It's Exodus 2. It's the beginning of Exodus, and God's people in Egypt would say what? They, they, it says that the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Okay, what does God do in Exodus 2 when he hears the cries of the people? Is he sends Moses, he raises up a deliverer. Okay, what is he going to do in Judges 3 when he hears the cries of his people? He's going to raise up a deliverer. Okay, we might go down this road a little bit further in the future, but just for, to make sure I say it, I'm going to say this now. Okay, when we read the story of Exodus going into Leviticus, there's this idea that we see God bringing his people out of Egypt. And yet that's only half the story. Because there's another side of the story that we see more so in Exodus, end of Exodus, more so in Leviticus, I mean. Of, of God saying, all right, now it's time to get Egypt out of my people. Like, now it's time to stop. Like, like the golden calf, you look a whole lot like Egypt. Like, let's get Egypt out of the people. Here's what it's going to look like. Here's the laws, and here's my commandments, and here's what it's going to look like to have a relationship with me so you don't look like Egypt anymore. Okay? When we get to judges, there's a whole lot of, yes, we're going to deliver my people out of this people group that has been raised up to judge them. And yet at the same time, there should be this next step that says, okay, now it's time to get the evil. It's time to get those people out of, out of my people. It's time to get Egypt out of my people. And, and the struggle is throughout the whole Old Testament. It's like we keep going back to Egypt. It's like you, keep, you read things and you're like, no, that's not, that's not God's way. That's Egypt's way. Okay, throughout the book of Judges, it's going to be like, no, that's not God's way. That looks a lot more like Egypt. Okay, in our life, we're just being honest. There's always the temptation. There's always the struggle to go back and live in the flesh. Right? We've been given life. We've been given far greater things than Israel has to some extent. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, and yet there's a struggle and, and this, this whatever we're in that's like, maybe I should go back and live this way. Yes, we're getting God's people out of Egypt. Yes, we're getting God's people under the rule, from out of the rule of the twice evil king. 
But what we're longing for is, is for, for God's people to stop looking like these, these people, the godless people of the world. Okay, so, so what do we see, though? The Exodus 2, right? We expect Moses to come. God's, God's people cry out to him. We need a deliverer. God hears his people. You've just worshipped other gods. You've forsaken God. You've forgotten God. You've ignored God. God, anger, he brings up the twice evil king. Now the people cry out to him. Back to verse 1. Here's, here's the nations that God left so that he might test Israel. Israel, you failed your test. Like, Israel, you were wrong. God knew it, and he just proved it to you. So what's the the idea? It's like, you should follow God's way. And so verse 9 gives us hope as the reader. Like, God's way is right. They recognize that. They cry out to God for help, and he's going to send a deliverer. And he sends a deliverer by the name of Othniel. Okay, this is going to take a little bit of time, but I think it's worth it. Who is Othniel? Well, he's the judge. He's the first judge. Right? Come on, Bart. Like, easy question. Okay, he's in another another book of the Bible. And in fact, he's also already in Judges. We just didn't read that passage last week. In Joshua 15, I believe, and then Judges chapter 1, they share the same exact story of Othniel. So we want to read it because I just want us to to know who this guy is a little bit. Okay? So in Judges chapter 1, verse 11. And again, we're in the Old Testament. There's going to be some words that that I just butcher and maybe just skip over. Um, Here we go, verse 11. Then from there he went against the inhabitants of Deber, the name of the city used to be a harder name to pronounce. And Caleb says, those who attack Kirath Sefer and captures it, I will give him my daughter, Aska, for a wife. Othniel, the son of Kenez, Caleb's young brother, most likely Othniel and Caleb are uncle and nephew, in case you're trying to figure out what that is, captured it. So here's Othniel. He rises up. He captures the city. And so he gets uh, the daughter of Caleb, Aska, for a wife. Then it came about when she came to him that she persuaded him. This would be Aska going to uh, Othniel, that she persuaded him to ask her father for a field. Then she alighted from her donkey, and Caleb said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Give me a blessing, since you have given me the land of Negev. Give me also the springs of water. So Caleb gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. Period. End of story. That's it. If you go to Judges, or Joshua 15, you get the same story. No commentary. No, this was a good thing they did. This was a bad thing they did. If you look up the story of Aska, and I'm probably saying that wrong as too, but you look at the story of Aska, you will find what I think to be horrible interpretation. You'll find what might be a good interpretation, but people take it way too far to make a horrible interpretation. This is, this is the general consensus if you Google the story here of Othniel and Aska. It is that you should go and ask for more. Like, this is a, 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 a go to God boldly and ask him for things. Okay? But where it lands is, is God, uh, Caleb said, Othniel, you'll have my daughter. And with that comes some sort of land. And, and that wasn't good enough, so they asked for more. And so what, what this turns into is to some sort of prosperity gospel message that says God's giving you, a, giving you money in a bank account, go ask for more. God's giving you a car to drive around, go ask for a better one. God's giving you a life, go ask for a greater one. A house, ask for a better one. Like, like you only don't have really cool and really good, like, she went and out, went for the springs, like, prized property. Like, this is the best of the best, probably. That's what she went and asked for. And so what are we supposed to do is we're supposed to figure out what the best thing on this world is and go ask God for it. And I look at that and I think, no, that's, <laughs> that ain't in the Bible. Like, that is not what this story is about. So then the question becomes, what is this story about? And why does judges include it? And then why is he the first judge? Okay, so what's going to happen is we're going to have to wrestle a little bit. 
Like we're going to, we're, discussion group, man, this is going to be interesting today. I'm going to share my input on, on Judges 1 through uh, 11 through uh, 15 or so. Um, there's a guy, I didn't write down his name, who, who, if this was a conversation, what I was reading, a back and forth conversation, I feel like he would have leaned over and whispered. Like he doesn't come out and say it. Uh, he doesn't quite, he acknowledges the ask for more and prayer topic. And then he kind of throws on the end some sort of like, what if this is discontentment? Like, what if this is greed? What if this is, hey, Othniel, you got what was promised to you. Why would you go back and ask for more? What if this turns into Judges 1? We've already seen last week, Judges 1 and 2, a foreshadowing of what's to come. What if Judges 1 is this picture of here's a guy who gets the girl, her name, by the way, we talked about names today, her name has something to do with ankles and ornament. So people think like an anklet, right? The idea is she's beautiful. So, so, so Othniel, like we read this and be like, dude, you captured a city. Like, good for you. Like, wait, man, what a man of God. And maybe you're just a sucker for beautiful ankles. Like, maybe that's where he's at. Like, Judges doesn't tell us. Joshua doesn't tell us. Like, is this a good thing they did? Is this not a good thing? But, but here's a guy who just kind of whispers to us. Maybe this is greed. Maybe this is a lack of contentment. And foreshadowing that we've seen Judges 1 last week, looking future, what if, what if they're discontent with what God has given them? What would that do? Would it not lead you to serve another God? Would that not lead you to what we already read this morning in Judges 3 of the Baals and the Asherahs? Like, like what, if, what if what God's given us in the promised land, this relationship with him and all these things, what if that's not enough? And so here's Othniel, and, and maybe his wife more so than him in the story that we just read. But maybe here's two people who say, hey, I want more. Right? And again, it's not the popular interpretation, so maybe I'm way off. But the picture that I see isn't one of like, here's someone you should go be like, like go ask for more. God's going to give you the wealth of the world. Like that's not what this, definitely not what this passage is saying. So then we take that, of, okay? Again, we're going to wrestle with it. I might come back next week and be like, well, three weeks. I might come back later and be like, yeah, maybe I don't agree with what I said. Okay? Like I told somebody I was going to sit down for this message because I feel like I can't just authoritatively say, here's what it said. Uh, but okay, but what does all that mean? It means if here's someone of Othniel, who has a story that sounds heroic and good, and yet at the same time, maybe, maybe part of the reason why we're, we're following false gods. Like, how is God going to use a twice evil king to, to, to judge his people? Like, that seems crazy. But how is God also going to use somebody that maybe himself isn't that great to deliver his people? Right? Like, like that's the story of Judges, and we're going to wrestle through this. But for whatever reason, Judges, the other Judges, wants Othniel to be in the story. Like, I feel like, no offense to the author of Judges, who we're not quite sure who it is. Uh, but man, if you would have just left that out in Judges 1, this would be way easier. Othniel, good guy. Great. Sp- Holy Spirit comes upon him. We'll talk about that in just a second. Like, easy. God, God empowers you. You deliver your people. Like, what a hero. What a great guy. And yet we have this story that maybe puts a little bit of a blemish on. But then you think about the Old Testament. It's like, well, who else had blemishes? Every single person in the Bible. Right? Moses had blemishes. David has blemishes. Like, just name something in the Old Testament. We probably got a blemish. So then it goes back to this idea that God's going to use a twice evil king, but he's also going to use a broken person that's trying to follow after him. It's like, God can use you. Like, we got our blemishes. We got our struggles. We got our problems, right? Anyway, let's get back to the text. Uh, Verse 9. We bring up Othniel, Caleb's younger brother. Verse 10. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, 
and he judged Israel. Again, that word judge, we think like a courtroom. It's not a courtroom setting. It's more of this idea of deliverance. Okay, but the struggle here is going to be what? Verse 10, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. We read that, and we're automatically thumbs up, good, good sentence. In this story, it seems to be good. It seems to be no issue. We're going to get to other judges where it's going to say the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and the sentence to follow is going to be something to do with evil. And then we're going to have to struggle. And then we're going to be like, how can the Spirit of the Lord come upon you and you do exactly the opposite of what God told you to do? Okay? In this case, we don't have to struggle yet. Just giving you a heads up of what's coming. Okay? The Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. This idea of empowering him and helping him. He judges Israel. When he went to, Lord, went to war, the Lord gave the twice evil king of Mesopotamia into his hand so that he prevailed over Kushan Rishmahan. Like, what's the picture here, though? The picture is not Othniel being the hero of the story. I mean, at some level, he did good and he delivered the people and like, okay, good job, Othniel. But what's the story? The story is here's a here's God who sends the spirit. Here's a God who gives him the, the, the twice evil king into his hands. Like, I feel like sometimes we're so quick to like run to the human side of it. And no, there's a God who's at work behind all this. Here's a sovereign God who can raise up an evil king and who can bring down the evil king. Just in the course of eight years, like it's nothing. Right? And what do we see? Let's go to verse 11 and then we'll kind of wrap things up here. Verse 11. Then the land had rest 40 years. I don't have an answer for this. It's just an observation. First couple times through Judges, like we get to other Judges, how are they going to end? They're going to say the land had rest. The next Judge is Ehud. Ehud's going to say what? The land had rest. Why the land? Why? Because other passages are going to use the same words. It's going to say the people. Is there significance about the land? I don't know. I don't have an answer to that. But the picture I get from from reading the end there, verse 11, beginning of verse 11, the land had rest for 40 years. To me, it's some picture of this is how God intended it. Like for 40 years, Israel got to see, uh, not a perfect world because we're still sinners, but at least a glimpse, uh, a better version, a closer version of what God had in mind for them. You would come into the promised land. You're going to be this, this uh, nation of priests, which you haven't been because you've been serving other gods and not the true God. Like, we're going to bring you in and you're going to get a glimpse of what this should be like. And for 40 years, you're going to have that. And the sad part is, is verse 12 is coming. And verse 12 is they're going to do evil all over again. Okay, but what do we do with this text? What do we do with Judges 3, 1 through 11? How do we handle it? Like, what do we do? Okay, there's, there's the easy and I'm not saying this is wrong. I'm just saying there's the easy. The easy is don't be like Israel. Right? The easy is uh, be careful what you worship. The easy would be uh, be careful like who you marry. You can go down that road. I'm not necessarily going to go down that road. But like, okay, we get that, right? Like who you associate with. They say you're going to be like the five people you hang out with the most. Okay, so we can go down that kind of world and that's fine. I'm not saying that's, that's wrong. But last week I said, what if we read Judges as a book from God about God? Like, what if we land more on the who is God through the book of Judges than we land on this, the failures of Israel and, and the people? Okay, so, so what do we see about this God? Well, what I see is verse 9, that there's a God who hears. Like, in the midst of, of sin, in the midst of struggle, and in the midst of just blatantly ignoring him and his commands, there's a God who still hears. Like, there's a God who's faithful to his covenant even when his people are faithless. Like, like he talks about their infidelity in one of the quotes that we read. Like, like you, Israel, have been unfaithful, and yet when verse 9 comes, God still listens. 
There's a God who's more powerful. He raises up twice evil kings and brings them down. Like, like you, you put Baal and the Asherahs and every other God they would have served, and you put everything they did on a list, and you put God on a list, like God wins. God's greater than your king. He's greater than your gods. He's a far better God than any other God. The anger of the Lord, verse 8, like we talked about that, the, the love of God to say, I'm not going to let you go down this road anymore. I'm not going to let you waste your life anymore. I'm not going to let you chase after worthless things. Like, like this is it. I've, I've given you enough time. You failed your test. Now it's time to do the work to bring you back to me. Like we read Judges, and I understand, like this used to be the world I lived in. God was mean and angry in the Old Testament. And yet this story has already shown us the beauty of a God who would chase after his people. The beauty of a God who says, I'm not going to let you do this anymore. So what do we do with this this morning? I think we praise God. I think we worship God. Hopefully this story, as weird as it is in all the names we don't, I don't know how to pronounce, like hopefully at some level of this, this is like, God, I want more of you. The, the God that promises wealth and happiness, I don't need that one. The God that promises some sort of success, the God that promises rain and crops, the God that promises what? Like, like I don't want that God more, anymore, God. I want, I want you. Like, you're the God who hears. You're the God who delivers. You're the God who's in charge and sovereign, and your will's the one that's accomplished. So, God, help me to love you. Help me to worship you. Right? Let's, let's land there more so this morning. Let's pray, and uh, we'll have a break till discussion. Heavenly Father, I pray for wisdom as we go through this book of Judges. I pray for wisdom as we talk about this, this 11 verses that we just covered this morning. God, we want to know your word. Uh, intellectually, but we also want to know it in such a way that we can live it, that we could apply it, that we could we want to just, just want to be knowledge in our brain, but it would transform our lives. And so, God, we, we, we ask that you would do that in us through the book of Judges, that you would transform us, make us more like you. God, we are so thankful that you're a God who hears. In the midst of our sin, in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of temptations and failures, that you are not too far, that you haven't left us. So God, we thank you that you're here. We thank you that you're faithful to, to your people. We love you. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.